in your bulletin, Andrea leaves this little spa space underneath the title and the key verse for you to put down things that you get. You can put sermon notes or whatever, but I, I would hope you would fill in there things that God's saying to you. Maybe a confirmation of things he's been saying this week. I keep this little, uh, this is, I would call this my journal, this little line paper thing, and every day I put a date, and I try to put down key verses. I feel like God's speaking to my heart, things that I feel like he's saying to me, and it's so neat to go back, especially when you're feeling down, to go back and see how God's talking to you, how God's speaking promises to you, and how he's bringing encouragement and hope. And if you're not a person who journals or writes down, I want to encourage you to start writing little things down. Recognize where God's speaking to you, because our mind and emotions need the constant um, refreshing to be able to recognize the things that God's saying to us to break through the hardness of our heart and the hardness of times and the things that we go through. You know, we oftentimes we just take that deep breath and we just kind of buck it up and just keep going through life. But in this series, we've been talking about raising our emotional health. It's so important to get in touch with our feelings, to become connected and come out of disconnection. I have kind of like a... a appetizer for you today before we really start talking about the message. I want to talk about desires. What are your desires? What kind of desires are, are going on in your life? You know, there's desires that come from our natural man, from our living in the world. There's things that we want. And um, Paul wrote in Romans 13, 14 about don't go after evil desires. But he says, but clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ the Messiah. And that's available to all of us through Jesus Christ because the operation and the activity of the Holy Spirit in our life that we can put on Jesus, that we can wrap ourselves with the presence of God. And he goes on to say, make no provision for or including the flesh. Put a stop to thinking about evil cravings of your physical nature to gratify its desires and its lusts. James 4, just to mention a couple of scriptures today, uh, talks about also we don't get what we want. And he kind of goes into why. So this is James 4, verses 2 through 6. You desire, but you do not have. You kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that he is jealous? He jealously longs for the spirit. He has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. So even if today you're wrestling maybe with some temptations, some desires that you know are not right, it is God that extends grace for you to walk away from trying to fulfill those pleasures and getting off track with what God really has. When you look at the definition from the Strong's uh, out of um, Psalms 37.4, my main scripture in this appetizer is that we, when we have desires, it means it's a request that we have or a petition or, or something we're wanting from the Lord. And Psalms 37 four out of the Amplified says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires and secret petitions of your heart. 
you know, my whole purpose in, uh, our purpose in coming here, and, and the people here who are involved with this who are leading and taking on responsibility, our whole purpose is to keep generating excitement in your heart to desire God. The inside of your heart, in your spirit, is a well that is untapped of deep desire that God has put in you. And sometimes it can be masked by other distractions, other temptations, other things that the world offers, or relationships, or work, or responsibility can distract us from. But God is promising us today that he has put within us desires that he wants to bring complete fulfillment. He's put secret petitions in your heart, secret cries that you may not even be aware of. So even in this time you're spending today in God's presence, you are in worship. You, you've given this time to settle yourself down. It's an opportunity for those desires that are deep within your heart to find root and to begin to come up and have a, a place of fulfillment. I think of often think about the disciples. And we read their story in the Gospels of how they came into contact with Jesus. And something deep in their heart, a deep desire in their heart to walk with God was triggered. And they left so many different things to follow Jesus. Today, it's our prayer and my hope and belief that somehow God is triggering deep things in you today. Things you may not even have pondered or considered. Maybe that little thing that starts trying to come up inside of you and you just go off doing other things that somehow today... You let those desires come to the forefront of your life. We know that John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, had the vision while being exiled on the island of Patmos to write the book of Revelations. He walked with that angel, and the angel unveiled a lot of things that are, some of them are in the Old Testament, and some of them are just prophetic uh, things about the end times. And uh, towards the end of the book, Actually, it's the last chapter. The angel tells John, and this is Revelation twenty-two seventeen. The Holy Spirit and the bride, which is the church, and we're part of that. We're, we're part of the bride of Christ being the local church. The two Christians say to the Lord, come. That's a secret place in our heart, in our relationship with Jesus that maybe we don't always get in contact with, but there's something birthed in our heart when we say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins. Show me how to have this relationship. Show me how to be reconnected with you, my Father. And sometimes we're more readily available to, to grab hold of that connection that we have in our heart. But the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him who is listening say, come. Let everyone come who is thirsty, who is painfully conscious of his need, of those things by which the soul is refreshed, supported, and strengthened. And whoever earnestly desires to do it, let him come and take appropriate and drink, appropriate and to drink the water of life without cost. It's that water that Jesus offered the woman at the well something that quenches the deep desire in our heart for fulfillment. Again, the desires of our heart, that God wants us to have that fulfillment. And it all continually unfolds and happens to us as we find a place of delight in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to pray, and then we'll just kind of get more into the message today.
And pray for yourself. It's okay to be selfish right now. Ask Jesus to awaken those desires, to let you get in touch with those deeper things that are in your heart, the wants that you have that are, are deeper, but they are crying out for a greater fulfillment. And they're going to they're gonna change you, and they're going to cause you to be a, a, a stronger believer. They're going to cause you to be stronger in spirit and uh, better focused in your relationship with God. Lord, we just come to you right now, Lord, in these few moments, Lord, that we have with you as a body. Lord, where we're looking into your word, and God, we're examining our heart, and we're opening up our mind, will, and emotions to grow emotionally, to grow spiritually. God, we're asking, God, I'm asking for every person here that they would experience you. Lord, that they would experience your love in a new way today, that you would break through the hardnesses and the things they've done, the things that have been done to them, the mindsets, the problems, the distractions that, that wait just as we go out the door. I'm asking, Father, that you would cause each person here to be able to connect with you, that you would be able to give them the desires of their heart, that you would awaken such a vast treasure of connection between you and us, where you are a heavenly Father, a loving Father that wants to give and grant and fill us. Lord, you know the depths of our brokenness. You know the depths of our need because you created us to be in fellowship and to draw life from your spirit. God, I'm asking today that you would reveal that love, that you would pour that love into us. So many of us are dry and empty and hungry, and we have a want. We've tried so many things, and we're not fulfilled. We're not satisfied. You created us, Lord, with such need. You created us with such purpose. You create us with such value in your eyes. Lord, we're asking today that we would connect, that we would be like those disciples where, Lord, we come to you again and again, and we find deeper and deeper connection. We find deeper and deeper meaning, and some of us will change the path that we're on to find a path that's more brighter, that has more fulfillment, that has more joy, that has more meaning. Oh, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move on us. You see our thoughts. You understand our thinking. God, you understand those things that try to tempt us or make us afraid of surrendering to you. I pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to grip us today. In Jesus' name. I also had some thoughts today. I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about uh, the Father's house in Vacaville, a house that we were connected with probably for about six years um, Pastor David Patterson was um, our MFI regional overseer. And I just had a, such a, a, a prayer over my heart today. This church is like thousands of people. They have more, more, I think they have two or three campuses now. They're just doing so much. And um, I was just praying, God bless them today. God bless them to keep growing and, and fulfilling the call of God that you've put on their lives. And then I thought about where we're at. And I thank God for Hollister. We don't have thousands here but there's a unique purpose going on in Hollister in San Benito County. There's a unique work of God going on that's not necessarily recognized or defined by our own natural eyes, but there's a work of God in the spirit that's going on in the lives of people. There are opportunities that we get to share with people around us in this community, in our prayers, that it's going to influence them for eternal life. I didn't plan on this being another weepy Sunday, Sunday, but who knows? Okay, so raising our emotional health, week nine. You know, last week we talked about um, the aspect of looking at our weakness and our vulnerability. 
and we talked about the father, the prodigal father. You know, the, there were two lost sons. There was the prodigal son, but there was the older brother who was just as lost. And how the prodigal son, he, the older brother, he had this self-righteousness. You know, he didn't see himself in, in his real need. He, he, did, he had denied his need for relationship with the father, and he had substituted his relational needs for work. And the part of him that was doing good, you know, there's always parts that we're, we're doing good at, and uh, we have confidence in, so we hang on to those parts that are strong. But then when we're doing good in an area and we're strong in an area, we can also turn and judge someone who's not working as hard as we are or doing what we're doing. And that's what the, that's what the older brother was doing. And as we look at the growth in emotional health, I think of Peter and how Peter had walked with Jesus three and a half years and he was a disciple. But there was this place in Peter that Jesus was working out where he was proud and he was defensive. He wasn't walking in weakness and vulnerability. He wasn't walking in all he had learned or even recognizing the broken people that he'd seen Jesus heal. So this is John 13 verses 4 through 9. Give you time to get your Bibles out, flip them in your iPhones or your smartphones. Jesus got up from supper. He had just had the Last Supper, the final communion meal with his disciples before he was going to the cross. He took off his garments and taking a servant's towel, he fastened it around his waist. Then he poured water into the wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the servant's towel with which he was girded. When he came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are my feet to be washed by you? Is it for you to wash my feet? Jesus said to him, you do not understand now what I am doing, but you will understand later on. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, unless I wash you, you have no part with me or in me, and you have no share in companionship with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, wash not only my feet, but my hands and my head too. Again, life circumstances brought up Peter's real need to, for weakness and vulnerability, for humility. And again, isn't it interesting that when we're in Jesus' presence, he can shine the light on those places where we're really not being honest, where we're not being vulnerable and open. Because when we're weak, we're in a position to receive from Jesus. We're in a position to let pride and arrogance and self be stripped away and put away from us. Our verse last week was Romans 3.23. Yes, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. You may have been tracking with Jesus for a long time. You may be a strong disciple, and yet there's a work of God going on to heal and restore our emotions, to cause us to grow spiritually and to refine what's going on deep in our heart. Peter was weaker than he knew. Jesus was leaving. He was heading to the cross, but he was also going home to the Father. John 13, 37 through 38. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay, will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I assure you most solemnly, I tell you, 
Before a rooster crows, you will deny me, completely disown me three times. It's interesting. Jesus knows our weaknesses and our vulnerability, the places in which he wants us to, to really relate from and be real and let down with, and he doesn't reject us. Matthew 26, 69 through 75, it shows Peter's need to continually have some emotional maturity and some spiritual growth. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you are talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. Peter, he again denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. How many times when we blow it do we want to pull away from God, pull away from the body, pull away from church, go somewhere else? We feel so ashamed. We feel so vulnerable. But if you read the John 21, 15 through 17, we see that Jesus gently restores Peter and acts like he never did anything wrong. It's because he knows our weakness and our vulnerability. He died on the cross to see that, that process of healing happen in all of us, to see us restored. He paid for our sins. He caused us to be born again. Nothing we could do to save ourselves. But now this work of being real and allowing God to change us, we are changed and transformed by looking at our weaknesses and our vulnerability and not hiding ourselves from it. Adam Clark wrote this, The light and salvation of God in the soul of man is a heavenly treasure in a very mean casket. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, was not shy in sharing with the churches his vulnerability and weakness. Yes, he kind of really lets down and is very weak to the church at Corinth, which was open to false apostles. But they resisted Paul, a true apostle of God, called by God and sent to them that they might be saved, that they might be changed, that the Holy Spirit might manifest all kinds of miracles through him to show that Jesus was real, he was resurrected, and he was full of power, and that he wanted to empower weak people. Paul shares his real life difficulties he suffered. But even though he suffered those things as an incredible apostle and disciple, God was with him. In 2 Corinthians 11, 23-30, he asked, Are they ministering servants of Christ the Messiah? He's talking about those false apostles. I am talking like one beside myself but I am more, with far more extensive and abundant labors, with far more imprisonments, beaten with countless stripes, and frequently at the point of death. 
obviously you could consider when a man is beaten, like Paul was beaten, he was at the point of death. Five times I received from the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, all but one. And you understand that back then when they lashed you with 40 lashes, when you got 40 lashes, you usually died. So he was at the point of death. And so they only whipped him 39 times so that he could suffer but not die, that they might do it again someday. Paul, in his whole journey, was lashed 195 times. 195 lashes he incurred in his body. He was near death a number of times from these lashes. Surely he was weak and vulnerable. Yet he was strong, strong in the spirit, strong in Christ. Verse 25, three times I have been beaten with rods. Oh, wow, add that to your lashes. <laughs> it's interesting when we're kids, sometimes our parents spank us. What's that to do? It's to break us, it's to humble us. Whenever we're corrected or broken, I'm sure whenever Paul was beaten, there was an incredible brokenness that came over his soul. Perhaps he wanted to give up but we know he never did. He goes on, once I was stoned. Three times I have been aboard a ship wrecked at sea. A whole night and a day I've spent adrift on the deep. Many times on journeys exposed to perils from rivers, perils from bandits, perils from my own nation, perils from the Gentiles, perils in the city, perils in the desert places, perils in the sea, perils from those opposing as believers but destitute of Christian knowledge and piety. In toil and hardship, watching often through sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, frequently driven to fasting by want, in cold and exposure and lack of clothing. And besides those things that are without, there is daily inescapable pressure of my care and anxiety for all the churches. I can identify that because there are times where I'm really feeling for knowing what people are going through, going through their struggles. And you carry a burden for people. Paul stayed vulnerable to carry the burden for the churches that he had launched and the people that he had seen come to the Lord and some which had wandered from the Lord. He goes on in verse 29. Who is weak? I do not, and I do not feel his weakness. Who was made to stumble and fall and have his faith hurt? And I am not on fire with sorrow or indignation. <coughs> if I must boast, I will boast of things, <coughs> excuse me, that show my infirmity, of things by which I am made weak and contentable in the eyes of my opponents. He shared his weakness so that he might identify with broken people. You know, sometimes the things we're trying to run from are, are things from our past. If we really let God heal us, they become places that we minister from. They can become places where people can get encouraged from and the Holy Spirit can get great glory by changing people. Paul the Apostle said in 1 Corinthians 9, 2, 
to the weak, the wanting and discernment, I have become weak, wanting and discernment, that I might win the weak. I have in short become all things to all men, that I might by all means and at all costs and in any and every way save some by winning them to faith in Jesus Christ. Our key verse today is a call for all of us to identify our weaknesses and our vulnerability and allow God to minister through those weaknesses and vulnerabilities. God selected, deliberately chose what in the world is foolish to put the wise to shame and what the world calls weak to put the strong to shame. What do your credentials look like? What is what does your life look like? What you've gone through? What do your weaknesses and vulnerability reveal what God is doing in your life? Some of you I told the story to, but I want to share it to the whole congregation today. Two years ago when I, Dora and I went to Valley Christian Fellowship in Nevada to minister, I met their, one of their staff pastors. I, I think he was like a, a contractor out in the world. He was no longer married, didn't have family, but he got ordained and he was their pastor. And when I saw him two years ago, he was in a wheelchair without his legs. Diabetes had taken them. And this year, when I went back, I was able to take some time, and he told me his story from the last few years. Diabetes had taken both legs, and he was now having heart failure. He had extreme heart blockage, but he was at an incredibly uh, terrible risk to have open-heart surgery to adjust the blockages because of the diabetes and his condition. So we went to some doctors in California and no one would touch his case. We talked to some doctors in Nevada, no one, no one would take him on. One doctor saw him, gave him a whole bunch of pills and told him more or less, go home and die. But he felt inside that that wasn't what God was saying for his life. God wasn't healing him of diabetes. He had lost his two legs, but he felt like he was supposed to seek someone who would take a risk and operate on his heart. So we went back east and happened to be to a place where the doctors and staff would actually pray for their people. And so we went for his, you know, exams and tests and the doctors uh, surrounded him and uh, oddly enough, they prayed with him. And he thought, wow, this is going to be good. And, uh, you know, he thought, wow, this is favorable. They're going to do this for me. And the doctor said, I want you to go home tonight and I want you to pray and really ask God for sure that this is what he wants for you. And he said, I'm, we're going to go home and we're going to pray tonight also. And when you come back tomorrow, we're going to decide what we're going to do with your case. So he went home and he really again felt like this is the decision he's supposed to make. He's supposed to have this heart surgery. So he came back and, he, and they asked him, well, what, what did the Lord say to you? And he said, I'm supposed to have this heart surgery. So the doctor said, well, you know what? We've prayed and we feel the same way. So we're going to do this. So he set up the surgery date. He went into the surgery and, you know, he started, uh, you know, th they started the process, started working on him. And during the surgery, he died. And there was a 15-minute time they did everything they could to bring him back. 
And probably it was like six months later when we went back to the doctor, the doctor said, did you know you died during the operation? And he said, no. And he got up from where he was and walked over to his desk and he picked up a death certificate that he had put Dennis's name on. And it was about to put the time in on it when Dennis came back to life. Dennis goes on dialysis and that day he talked to me, he had been on dialysis, I think it was uh, on Friday morning and I talked to him either Saturday or Friday night I, or Saturday morning I talked to him. And he said there was a young man who came in there and he just had started dialysis. And he was so angry. And da Dennis got to talk to him about the Lord and he said, if your God is so loving and caring, why are you here going through dialysis? Why did you use your legs? And Dennis said, I'm here. Because God knew you were going to be here starting this journey today. And he wanted you to know that God loves you. God cares about you. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm on dialysis. And so when we think about weakness and, and vulnerability, we often wonder why we're left with the things that we have to deal with, you know. But it's using whatever we're in, whatever's not changing, to see what God wants to do in our weakness. To see how the Holy Spirit wants to manifest His power through what we're going through. Sure, it's great to be healed. Everyone wants to be healed. But what if I'm not? Am I going to miss the opportunity to see God's greater plan or opportunity to move through my weaknesses, through my vulnerability, to see something happen that's going to change? Paul's thorn. Paul was cut up into paradise having revelations from God. He had a new challenge to say weak and vulnerable. He talked about, wow, having this heavenly vision, being caught up there. I'm an apostle. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. And to keep me from being puffed up and too much elated by the exceeding greatness of preeminence of these revelations, there was given to me a thorn, a splinter in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to rack and buffet and harass me to keep me from being excessively exalted. Have you asked about, have you asked God about your weakness? Have you asked God about what you have or what you're dealing with that you've been asking God to deliver you from? Paul goes on, verse 8, Three times I called upon the Lord and besought him about this and begged that he might de that it might be depart from me. But he said to me, My grace, my favor, and loving kindness and mercy is enough for you. Sufficient against any danger and enables you to bear the trouble manfully. We always talk about manning up. God goes on, For my strength and my power are made perfect, fulfilled, and completed and show themselves most effectively in your weakness. Does anybody here want more of God's power? God might be honing in on a weakness that you have. Therefore I will all the more gladly glory in my weaknesses and infirmities that the strength and power of Christ the Messiah may rest, yes, may pitch a tent over and dwell upon me. Again, we so often are focusing on our weakness and our vulnerability 
that we maybe are missing God's pitch tent over this area of weakness in our life that the power of the Holy Spirit wants to launch from and to show itself strong. Maybe our weakness is causing us to pull back from people, pull back from those little nudges where God is saying, you need to speak out about this. You need to, you need to stand for me. But we're, seeing, we're feeling so overwhelmed or put back by whatever it is that we're not being able to exercise the power of God that he wants to use in the weakness and the vulnerability that is active in our life. Pitch a tent over and dwell upon me. For the sake of Christ, I am well pleased and take pleasure in infirmities, insults, hardships, persecutions, perplexities, and distresses. For when I am weak in human strength, then I am truly strong, able, powerful in divine strength. This whole summer, I've been talking about being strong in the Lord and the power of His might, becoming strong in spirit, that whoever we are, whatever we got, our strengths and weaknesses must be empowered by God. We must live out of this supernatural strength that we might overcome the things that are thrown our way, but more greater, that we would be the examples of Christ in our generation, that we would extend His presence and power through our lives, through our testimony. God has chosen us in this time to be those who would use His power to a dark world, to a world is so confused with religion and other alternatives that do not believe that Jesus Christ came, God's Son in His flesh, died on a cross, and was resurrected that He might forever put death to rest, that there is no hope after death, and to tell people that there is life after death, and it's life only through Jesus Christ, that you can have your sins forgiven, you can have a new life begin to take your life, you can be transformed from everything you've done in darkness, and you can rise up becoming stronger and stronger. Why? Because God fills your spirit, and you have this relationship and communion, and now your soul can find this rest because it no longer has to make all the decisions because your spirit is growing strong in Christ. Your relationships can get better. Your marriages can get better. Your problems can, can be um, gone through because you are not going through alone, but Jesus Christ is walking through, you, through them with you every day that you live. The next thing, accepting. Let me read you this verse. Paul argues for the authenticity of his call to leadership by appealing not to his visions and revelations from God or his successes and gifts, but to his weaknesses. Paul wrote about how God had allowed a thorn in his flesh in his life to humble him. Again, in the world, we look to success, perfection, winning. The disciples were beaten. They were rejected for their message. They had faced spiritual opposition and death. But they spoke concerning God's power, even in all that they went through. It was by weakness and martyrdom that the disciples showed off God's strength. A deep, confident faith they had because they were not bothered by the things that they went through. God being greater in their spirit, in their spiritual life, overcoming the, the weaknesses and the attacks that they went through. Let me propose this. Accept your gift as a, as a, handicap, as a handicap. No, I have that wrong. Accept your handicap as a gift. gift is a thorn in our flesh it could be huh yes accepting your handicap as a gift it could be a child with special needs it could be an addiction checked by accountability maybe having to have meetings every day having people mentor you guarding yourself keeping you from slipping back 
could be emotional weakness, a depression, anxiety, isolation, could be loneliness. You might have to go to counseling. You might have, have to gather a group of people around you that are keep encouraging you. It could be uh, a singleness, being widowed, losing a spouse. Um, could be past abuse, a wound in your soul, a disability, a sickness. These are all temporal realities in our natural world. But could you accept your handicap as a gift from God that his power could be showing up in a greater way? Hey, Booth, what are you saying? Give up? Don't ask for the miracle? No. But look to God and recognize him as your source. Who knows? You might stand for a while and God will still do your miracle. But the bottom line is that you get out of whatever you're going through for God's benefit. Would the worship team come? In Hebrews eleven thirty four, in the great chapter about faith, miracles, and all the things God did, I love that verse 34. It says, out of weakness, people were made strong. Those heroes of faith. So if you get a chance this week, I'm giving you some homework with this message. Look at Isaiah 49. I feel like it's prophetic for our church how God wants to heal broken people and restore their lives. Will you stand with me? I want to encourage you to take these few minutes and really press into God. We have like five minutes. And if you feel like you want to stay a little longer, you can stay a little longer. But really, ask God some serious questions. Examine your life. Is there some weaknesses? There's some things you're struggling with God about, but, but you're, you're looking at it from the wrong end. You're not looking at your handicap or your weakness as something from God where he wants to do something more through your life. Are you recognizing the power of the Holy Spirit?